Well, we're up to Mark 14 now, and I have said earlier in the studies on Mark that it seems to me that the Gospel of Mark is really the account of, of Peter. It's really Peter's Gospel, and there, there is a, a non-biblical tradition that it was written down by Mark. But quite apart from that tradition, <clears throat> it seems to me that this whole Gospel does really... Um, have internal evidence that it was really the story of, of Peter. Now Peter was the rock in one sense upon which the early church was built and here is the leader of the church in the form in which he preached the gospel because the gospel of Mark like all the gospels is the transcript of the message which those early uh, preachers really gave in their account of the, the message of Jesus, the work of Jesus, what he did, uh, what he said, etc. And all through that message there is Peter's continual recognition that he was very weak. And it is that which I think will make the preaching of the gospel effective and attractive if the preacher continually recognizes his or her own salvation by, by grace. And even if Mark's gospel was not really Peter's gospel, as I, I've uh, suggested, maybe fantasized, the point is that the early preachers of the gospel were out there telling people the good news, uh, and Peter was, as it were, the figurehead of that very early primitive church before you know, Paul came along. And they're really saying that, look, the guy who's up front amongst us, he messed up. He denied the Lord. Now, <clears throat> again, according to non-biblical uh, sources, when the Romans started persecuting the Christians, they got hold of them and they forced them three times to curse Jesus and to deny Jesus. And here, in the very source book of the Christian gospel, the textbook, as it were, or the, the, uh, the transcript of the basic bottom line message of Jesus, we have the leader of the early church doing just that, denying Jesus three times. And I think that that was there, that was intentional, to emphasize how there is hope for those who, who can't, unfortunately, like all of us, live up to the ideal expectations of the gospel. And so, <clears throat> starting um, in, well, incidentally in verse 9, whatever this gospel should be preached throughout the whole world, this which this woman has done will be spoken of for a memorial of her. Uh, by the way, I think that that is evidence that the gospel records that we have are the gospel that was to be preached throughout the whole world, because this incident of uh, the woman anointing uh, the Lord's uh, feet with, with her precious ointment, this is in all four of the gospels. And that rather does uh, make sense then when he says that whatever the gospel will be preached throughout the whole world, and that's connecting with Jesus saying the gospel must go into all the world before the end comes, the gospel is the gospel, as in the gospel records. The rest is theology, the rest is interpretation. But the bottom line message of the Lord Jesus is here in the gospels. And I, I think incidentally, that, as I say, that, that verse 9 is, uh, is a good indicator of that. So after that, this chapter, I would suggest, is all really about Peter. And in verse 19, they began to be sorrowful, and they said there at this uh, last breaking of bread, one by one, is it I? And another said, is it I? Now, it seems to me that why the emphasis that, well, they all said this, but one of them also said it. If you translate 
the Greek New Testament back into Aramaic on the assumption that it was originally spoken in Aramaic and the, the language these guys were speaking would have been Aramaic rather than New Testament Greek um, that construction and another said this would, was a way apparently of saying I the author said or I the author did this that or the other so in that case the another who said is it I we tend to assume that that was Judas but I would say that it was probably the author or the teller of this gospel and I suspect that this other is in fact Jesus uh, sorry is in fact uh, Peter and so he's emphasizing that look there I was so confident <clears throat> that I would not betray the Lord at the breaking of bread I even promised I would not but I did and so in this we see you know real kind of uh, encouragement I, I think for for us and I think uh, particularly when you come uh, to, to the denials of course we're all slightly uncomfortable with these three denials because we see so much of Peter uh, in ourselves and as I say the, this was all written and spoken in the context of the Romans demanding a triple denial that you knew Jesus or that you had a relationship with him now when he says in 71 that or it says that he began to curse and to swear saying I know not the man this isn't talking about expletives this is talking about Jewish uh, curses and oaths things like may I be condemned at the day of judgment if in this case if I ever knew him now of course he's not saying Jesus Jesus of Nazareth who Jesus who he's not saying I never heard of Jesus of course everybody had heard of Jesus there he was he was on trial uh, just a stone's throw really from where Peter was standing by the fire so when he says I don't know this man the idea is I'm not in relationship with him I'm not in any covenant with him now Mark's gospel is one of the shortest well it is the shortest of the four gospels <clears throat> and it's uh, again by tradition uh, suggested that this was the gospel that baptismal candidates had to learn by heart so this gospel is uh, generally pretty truncated pretty uh, pretty brief but there's more information about the denials of Peter here in Mark 14 than there is in the other records the emphasis is very much on on Peter and so in fact it's only Mark that records all three of the denials in verse 72 the second time the cock crew that's only recorded here in Mark it is really a lot of information here now <clears throat> you, you got the same I think back there in 37 Jesus comes and finds them sleeping and says unto Peter Simon do you sleep the AV says sleep is thou you in the singular could is not thou you singular could not you singular watch one hour now in the other records like Matthew 26 40 that's in the plural Jesus comes to the disciples and said why are you plural sleeping could not you plural watch one hour but here the focus is without doubt on on Peter so then <clears throat> there's all this information about Peter's denial and yet this is Peter's preaching of the gospel this is the preaching of the gospel let's say of the early church that were known to have Peter as their their lead guy kind of thing 
And so I keep emphasising that point, that people are not persuaded by sort of power theology, by just telling people, you know what, the Bible says this, that and the other. People are persuaded by people, they're persuaded by stories, they're persuaded by by story, I, I don't mean fantasy, I mean history, by, by actual persons. By seeing you in your failures, <clears throat> feeling and knowing you are forgiven. This is what turns people off when they feel they are being preached at. When they feel that you are presenting yourself as better than them. And yet here's Peter working the other way round. Or the early church, let's say, working the other way round. Our lead guy, Peter, was so terribly weak. Now, going further, Peter, in his weakness here was very similar to Judas. He's being set up in parallel with Judas. He went out, verse 68, he went out from Jesus into the porch. Same word, John 13:30, about Judas. He went out, and it was dark, and it was night. So then, <clears throat> Peter was really living out his own condemnation, because the language of going out from the presence of Jesus and being outside, this is always used in the New Testament about those who are condemned, those who will be outside from the marriage supper, those who are without the house where, where Jesus is or was. And so <clears throat> Peter was really asking for his own condemnation because he, he makes these Jewish oaths and cursings saying that, you know, if I knew Jesus may I be condemned at the day of judgment and he goes out and Luke 22, uh, 62 adds the detail that he went out and wept bitterly same idea about the rejected they go out from the presence of Jesus and there is weeping and gnashing of teeth in the darkness this is exactly what happened with, with Peter he was living out ahead of time his coming before Jesus and being rejected, condemned, and asking for his own condemnation. And <clears throat> he did the same as Judas, who was likewise you know, condemned. And yet Peter repented. And yet everything changed. And you're probably aware that these three denials of Peter are matched when Jesus, as recorded at the end of John's Gospel, stands with him again by a fire, in fact a fire of coals, a charcoal fire, exactly the same type of fire, and he asks him these three times, do you love me? And three times he says, you know, go and do my work, feed my sheep, etc. So then, Jesus was undoing the three denials. He was saying, look, it's okay. I undo that, and you undo that, and I love you, and I forgive you. And the whole point is that when we sin, every time we sin, we come before the judgment throne of God and of Jesus, and we are condemned. That is how serious sin is. And Paul dwells on this a lot in Romans, where he, he uses all this legal metaphor of judgment and, and God as judge, etc., and he speaks of us as coming there before that judgment seat and being condemned to the left-hand side, Duncan. And yet the verdict somehow changes. Not only verdict changes, according to Paul in Romans, we are declared right. We are sent super to the right-hand side. We stand in the dark and are justified. We are declared right. And the judge and the counsel for the defence come out on our side and the uh, 
the, the witness box against us is suddenly empty. Where are your accusers? They are not here. Who is he that shall condemn? Nobody, because Christ died and rose again for our justification so that we might be declared right. But all that metaphor and all that uh, argument needs to be borne in mind. We should never just shrug and assume that, well, therefore we're all okay. We shouldn't. We cannot do that. Because the whole idea is that we really have sinned and we really are to be condemned. And yet that verdict can change. And this is the, the wonderful thing. Now, we may lament a lack of spiritual energy in our lives, a lack of conviction, a lack of joy, a lack of uh, peace, uh, a lack of uh, dynamism. Where do we get the motivation from to live the committed life, to, uh, to show grace, to forgive, uh, to be generous in every way in our lives? Where do you get that motivation from? And I don't think you can will yourself, that you can force yourself into it. I just don't think you can do that. But what you can do is to be motivated by the love of Jesus to you and to realize that you really can be different now that you really are forgiven. It's like, imagine you come the day of judgment and you are condemned and you go away weeping and gnashing your teeth. What a fool I was. And then you're called back. Hey, Duncan. It's all okay now. That's okay. Come here. It's okay. You know? That, that is what happens when we are forgiven. That we are condemned for our sin and yet we are forgiven. Now, one final point I want to make in the context of this chapter. I've said that uh, it's really all about Peter and from his perspective. And you may wonder then, verse 51, who is this certain young man who follows... Uh, and uh, he's almost caught, but he runs away naked. Well, I think that's Peter. In verse 54, I'm reading from the RV, Peter had followed him afar off. 51, and there followed him a certain young man. It was Peter, 54, who had followed him afar off. So I think that as the whole chapter really is about Peter, or most of it is about Peter, particularly this uh, latter part of it, I think that this is also talking about Peter. And when we read 52, that he leaves the linen cloth and flees from them naked, that's picking up an Old Testament verse that talks about the condemned, that they shall flee naked in the day of judgment. That the condemned go out convicted by their own consciences and they flee naked and of course they shall walk naked Revelation 16 and they shall see their shame that the shame and the nakedness of the condemned is very clear and so therefore I do think this is another example of where Peter in this life was as it were condemned and knew what it feels like to be condemned and yet he was called back as it were and saved and I dare to say that even Judas could have done the same the point is with him he didn't have the humility the love I suppose of the Lord in his heart the belief in his grace in the end to do what Peter did but it seems there's such a strong parallel I don't see why 
he could not have done so and so we are condemned for our sin and yet we are saved and so we're here thinking about the breaking of bread and of course we have the record of that earlier in this chapter let's just go back to verse 23 Jesus took the cup and when he had given thanks he gave it to them and they all drank of it and he said unto them 24 this is my blood of the new testament or the new covenant and he's quoting there actually from the Septuagint of Exodus 24.8 Behold the blood of the covenant that the whole basis upon which we stand with God is not that you know, you're righteous for five minutes then you sin for ten minutes then you're indifferent for uh, the next three hours and you know where you are um, and then you're sort of back in with God then you're out with God that's not covenant relationship that would be relationship by works but we are in covenant relationship and that means that we are always as it were in Christ and the taking of the bread and wine is I think to, to emphasize that in fact the root of the Hebrew word for covenant is to eat you cut a covenant in the sense you cut an animal and you also ate and there's Old Testament examples of that in the book of Genesis and elsewhere so then the eating that we are doing is the celebration of our covenant relationship and that covenant relationship means that we are as it were his, his wife we bear his name all the time even if we are unfaithful and so <clears throat> we are here to celebrate we are here to celebrate something amazing that we who were condemned we who should know that really I should come there to the day of judgment and be sent away that you Duncan who are you don't you see how you've lived don't you know how little you really felt for me go to the left hand side with a weeping and gnashing of teeth it's as if that happened to us and we were called back and we do that and then in the midst of those bitter tears as Peter had hey Duncan come here it's okay it's really all okay mate it's really going to be okay because well, because I love you now you just think of the I was going to say you think of the uh, the gratitude which there would be but it's not a case of which there would be if you see what I'm saying that has happened to each of us here and now now if we really have that uh, sense that he has saved me <clears throat> that I who was condemned who should be condemned have been condemned but saved and Paul puts it in this metaphorical way that we come the day of judgment now the judgment in essence is now and we are condemned and yet because Christ died and rose again and we are baptized into him Romans 6 therefore we are counted as righteous we are declared right in a legal sense and then he comes to the end of the whole section Romans 8 this uh, amazing uh, glory to God and this ecstasy that he has that we are saved now that is not just something we can have at the day of judgment that is right now that is for our experience right now and yet of course they ask Lord is it I and another said 19 Peter I've suggested I said Aramaic possibly could suggest uh, is it me and you know there has to be this uh, reality check with all of us that look some people are not going to be in the kingdom some people are going to be condemned judgment has got teeth the whole thing is for real and so we do ask we must ask is it I 
And yet, in that same spirit of deep awareness of our own failure and likelihood of, of failure all the time, yet also believing, not like Judas, who thought, is it I? Yeah, it probably is, uh, and walk out into the darkness, but a walk out in the darkness and come back. And where did Peter come back to after he walked out into the darkness? Well, he says in his letter, first to Peter, that he was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, you don't read about him in the Gospels. You read of John there and Mary and Mary Magdalene and some of the women, but you don't read of Peter. But he says, I was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. So I think that he went back to the cross, or he went to the cross, and hid somewhere in the crowd, probably disguised his face, to see the end. And I think in the end, that is what persuaded him. That's what Judas didn't do. He went off and jacked himself, but Peter went to the cross. And that is what persuaded him that there was hope and that there was forgiveness. And so that is, of course, where the breaking of bread is, in a sense, so valuable, that this is a great opportunity for us to, like Peter, to come back to the cross and to realize finally that because of what he did, it is all okay now. Just as Paul says, we are condemned, and yet... It is Christ that died, yea, is risen again for our justification.